Uh, we'll read this morning uh, from Habakkuk chapter 2, uh, verses uh, 6 through 20. Uh, we will look at the woes to the Chaldeans. There's five woes that we'll cover today. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them, for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies? For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake! To a silent stone arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. We looked last week as part of our goal to apply this to ourselves, to Hebrews chapter 10. And we saw that the prophecy of Habakkuk, the just will live by faith, uh, is repeated in uh, Hebrews chapter 10. And just by way of a brief review, we'll look at what uh, uh, A.W. Pink said is a, a threefold fulfillment in that place. First of all, he says that in Hebrews chapter 10, there's a, a literal and initial uh, appearance of the coming one. You remember, it wasn't the Babylonians that were coming in Hebrews chapter 10. It says the coming one, uh, Christ, Christ's return. Uh, as the New Testament interprets the Old, we can see, as several commentators do, that the, the Habakkuk passage is, is uh, uh, it's obviously messianic. It's, it's talking about uh, Christ. And we already saw that when Paul said in a sermon that God will do a work in your day that if, if somebody told you, you wouldn't believe. In Habakkuk's day, it was the Babylonians coming in the... In, in, in Paul's day, in, in the apostolic time, it was, it was the incarnation of Christ. And then 
And then Hebrews says, it's all about the coming one. It's all about the coming of Christ in his incarnation and in his second coming. Pink also sees the, the interruption of Christ's coming as spiritual and continuous. Because what happened to the, the whole Old Testament system, Hebrews not only told us in chapter 10 that it's all taken care of, and here's the results. Here's what you should do based on the fact that you, your salvation is all taken care of. Your access to the temple is all taken care of. Your forgiveness of sins is all taken care of. And uh, Pink relates this to, the, to the, the coming of the Romans and the siege and the destruction of uh, Jerusalem. The spiritual fulfillment was already there and then the physical fulfillment came and no sacrifice has ever been uh, made again in the old system. And so that it was spiritual and continuous. The, God stamped, as it were, uh, on the destruction of Jerusalem, the fact that nobody's going to have another sacrifice that way. It, it's only through Christ and his work. So Pink says it's spiritual and continuous. And then he says it's final and complete. And uh, the writer to the Hebrews obviously says that. How long are we going to persevere till I die or till the Lord comes back? There's nothing else, is there? We saw that in the day of the Lord passages. What's the next thing that's going to happen? Well, we pray that Jesus would come. And, and our, our hope and our desire is just like the end of Revelation. Please, Lord, come back soon. Come back now. That's, that's our desire. It's, it's final and complete. There are some uh, questions that we could deal with about that uh, 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 passage, but we're, we're going to move on to the five woes of the against the Chaldeans. Really, verse five also uh, is is in there. Uh, Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Uh, like death, he is never enough. So here, here the Chaldeans are uh, not only physically but uh, uh, spiritually compared to somebody who's a uh, who's a drinker, who uh, is addicted uh, to wine. This is one of the spots that, uh, that wine is portrayed uh, physically. It's something, it's something that is active. It's uh, personified. Uh, the, the American Standard Version says, wine is treacherous. Uh, that's, a, that's a picture, isn't it? Uh, other versions like the Geneva says, the, the person who transgresses uh, by wine. It, it develops this thought that there's this addiction there. You remember, you remember that the Chaldeans said, well, we don't need God. We trust in our own strength. But they worshiped wine. They were addicted to wine. That was their God. They went back to it over and over. Although the translations are, are different, uh, wine is personified in other places. Proverbs 20 and verse 1 says that, that wine is a mocker. It's personified as something that, that, that mocks you. Uh, a strong drink then is a brawler. We, uh, we, all, we all know about drunken brawls. Literally, there's cultures that are famous for drinking and brawling. Uh, Proverbs chapter 23, 29 to 36 really emphasizes it. It, it puts in the, it shows the addiction, but it also personifies. Proverbs 23, 29. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Think of those four things, right? 
when we were growing up, we had a neighbor that was an alcoholic. Every Friday night, there would be a, an argument that you could hear all the way down the street. Who has these things? Who has wounds without cause, redness of the eyes, those who tarry long over wine, and those who try mixed wine? Do not look at it when it's red and when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. And here's the personification. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. What are you taking into your, what are you taking into your mouth? Something that could be like a serpent. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of the mast. They struck you, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. And that's a picture of the Chaldeans. That's a picture of, uh, sadly, I've seen those things where somebody was beaten up, but they were so drunk they didn't even know what was going on. Beaten up and punished and thrown into, uh, thrown into a, a, a whole pile of bushes. Senseless. But that's what happens. And what happens the next morning? Oh, my head hurts, but where am I going to get the next one? So this portrayal is towards the Chaldeans. Uh, a person that drinks has a double punishment for it because drunkenness is sin and drunken acts and the consequences of them are, are sin as well. We have things that are called beer muscles or cocktail courage. And I sadly have heard people say, just get a few more drinks in her and you'll be taking her home. There's planning and plots. There's all these horrible things that come from it. And there's two things immediately. You're drunk and that's sin. And there's consequences coming. And how many consequences of drunk drivers and families that were wiped out by somebody who's still sitting there in the seat. Three examples. Three examples prove it and show it. King Ahasuerus had a giant feast. And in the middle of this drunken thing, I, I just read Esther and now I forget, but it was something like a hundred days. Can you imagine a, something like a hundred days? of? So he wants his queen to come out and dance. And you remember the context of Esther is you just got all the beautiful women. You put them in your concubine area and, and one after another, you, you could have him. You could bring him in. That was the idea. But she understood that the kind of dancing that he wanted her to do was not appropriate. It was sensual dancing, just like the, the other example of uh, the daughter of uh, Herodias. Just like Mexican dances and hula dances and all the sorts of dances. Now they just put up a pole and somebody dances on a pole. But, but Vashti knew this was a disgraceful thing. And it was only going to fuel what was already going on for for quite a while and she says I'm not going and she was banished Belshazzar and his he takes the drinking vessels of the of the uh, of the uh, the temple and he passes them out and they're drinking all this stuff the next thing you know there's writing on the wall and he didn't go to bed that night because somebody killed him before he, he could wake the next morning Herod and the dancing girl he rashly says uh, I'll give you up to half of my kingdom. Can you imagine that? 
is there is there any verse that confirms Proverbs? It's not for kings to drink wine that pervert justice. I'm going to give you half of a kingdom because of your dancing, but that's what it did. It drew out the sensuality. It drew out the perversion of the whole thing. And what she asked for was even worse than half the kingdom. But that's the Chaldeans. This insatiable appetite is not only for wine, but for everything else. The verse goes on to say they have greed. They say it's never enough. They collect, they gather. The new King James, they enlarge. They can't be satisfied. They gather, they heat up, they heap up. Their addiction is not only for wine. Their addiction is to just go out and conquer everybody and take everybody over. Pusey writes, the soul becomes like what it loves. The ruling passion absorbs the whole being. It is his end, the one object of his thoughts, hopes, and fears. The passion devours, as it were, first in its craving and then in its acts. You'll notice, you'll notice the uh, picture cannot get any bigger. Oh, you have to be in the right place. The picture can't get any bigger because he mentioned Sheol. Uh, Sheol never has enough. Death, death takes one person after another. It can never be, it can never be filled. His greed is as wide as Sheol, like death. He has never enough. Death has no rival, does it? Sheol just fills up over and over again. There's no, there's, there's no way to stop it. And, and that's the picture. Drunk with wine, drunk with taking people over. And then come the five woes. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 50 and 51 is a 110 verses of woes against Babylon. And uh, Nahum is a whole book against it. So this, uh, this nation was a target. These five woes uh, really have an interesting structure. Somebody says it's more measured rhythm uh, than any beside in scripture, each with the uh, each of the fivefold woes is comprised of three verses, uh, four of them closing with the ground or uh, the reason. Uh, and so there's, a, there's the beginning of our uh, uh, picture uh, that uh, there's three basic thoughts uh, for, for each woe. Uh, it picks up at uh, verse 6. Shall not all these take up a taunt song against him with scoffings and riddles for him and say... So, so here we've seen this already, uh, Micah chapter 2 and verse 4, uh, a taunt song was, was brought up against Israel. And people were able to hiss, remember they hissed, they, they, they said, oh look at you, you're God's people, uh, uh, you're, you're being carried away into captivity, but you're God's people, some, some God you have. They took up a taunt song against the Lord on the cross and, and taunted him. But the conquered people rise up uh, against the Chaldeans with scoffing and riddles or a taunting proverb or a parable. And they say, look, look, the, the, the conqueror is being conquered. They're one of our other uh, prophets that mentioned that. Here they boasted. And then it turned around. Well, where's your boasting now? You took all of my fields. You took all of my property. Now we're both... Now we're both being dragged off into captivity. Where's your property that you stole from me now? Nobody has it. 
The nation takes up the taunt and the anger is born in this cauldron of oppression. They abused people's lands and made them pay to live in their empire. Then the question is posed to the Chaldeans in, in verse uh, 7, that they will, the Chaldeans will become the spoil. They, they never thought about that. Nahum told us, Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be a spoil for them. Nahum gave us the pictures of their, their gathering and gathering and gathering and then saying, we're at ease, we're rich. We took over all these nations and all these lands. But then the plunderer gets plundered uh, in verse 8. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you. The second woe, uh, it talks about the conquered dwellings that rise against the, the Chaldeans. The first, the first picture was a monetary picture. The second one is a, a picture of a, of a house. There's evil, evil gain for his house, his, his, his own house. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. So that was the picture just mentioned. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to have ease for myself. We conquered all these nations. I'm going to take everything I can from all the spoils and everything is going to be fine. The idea is they thought they deserved this peace and rest from all the battles. Verse 10, here's the self-destructive consequences of cutting off many people. The plan is really against your own house and the guilt of your sin is piled as high as your plunder. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many people. You've forfeited your life. Here's, here's what they view, and here's what God said is going to happen. And then verse 11 is, a, is a, an eerie picture. You're living in your house, let's say, and the stone uh, cries out from the wall. Oh, Art, did you hear that? I thought I heard the wall cry out. No, I didn't hear that. And the beam from the woodwork respond. Did you hear that? I thought that the woodwork said something back to the... But you see the picture. You see the picture. We, we have that in, uh, in those, in those uh, uh, phony uh, movies, right? At, at night, you hear this creak. What's that? Who made that noise? Go downstairs and look. No, I'm not going downstairs and look. You go downstairs and look. But, but look at what God says. You've taken over all these houses. You know what? I'm going to make your house look. I'm going to make your house like a, a house of horrors to you. And, and that's what's going to happen. That's the second woe. At this point, Pryor says, God is teaching Habakkuk to perceive a moral order in the course of human history. He's slowly showing them these people that you fear, these people that are coming to, to take everything over, they're not going to get away from me. They're not going to get away. And it's starting to show Habakkuk, I don't have to worry. God's going to sort this all out. He's historically going to bring all these things uh, to pass. Uh, the third well, verses 12, 13, and 14, is the futility of human effort to conquer other nations. And it's a, a theme of, of filling. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Is it not from the Lord of hosts the people labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? They're just, they're just trying to, 
to, to build up everything. Uh, Pryor says, human blood has a voice. When it is shed, it speaks. Its voice cries out to God. God responds to human bloodshed with a curse on those who would, he would prefer to bless. He says, you've shed so much blood, it, it's, it's calling. He tells, he tells Cain that, doesn't he? Is, isn't the voice of your brother's blood crying to me from the ground? Uh, that's the idea. Here's the burning question. Uh, they become weary for nothing or they weary themselves for nothing. The, the, the fire is going to come and consume them as they've delighted to set other cities on fire. Despite being one of the seven wonders of the world, Babylon would be destroyed. We saw in the prophecy of Nahum that did not take long at all. But then verse 14, verse 14 and 20 remind us very pointedly what's really going on. Verse 14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You've filled cities with blood. You've filled all this, all this, but, but here's what the result will be. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. God's purposes will stand. Only one thing will increase and expand. And fill the earth. And that, absolutely, it's not the plan of man. But it's the, the knowledge and the glory of the Lord. Ultimately, all else pales in comparison to the purpose of God bringing forth the knowledge of his glory. Later, the picture is all your, all your idols are dumb. They're silent. And then he says in verse 20, let everything be silent before the Lord. Here it's glory. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever, do all to the glory of God. All history, all history is going towards that. That's the point. He's, he's teaching Habakkuk and he's teaching us. This is really what it's all about. We've mentioned it before. 40 times in the Gospel of John. Glory, glorify, glory. In the priestly prayer, he says it over and over and over. I've glorified your name on earth. Bring me back to the glory that we shared before. It's all over the place. Oh, your friend Lazarus is sick. This sickness is not unto death, but it's that, the, that God's name would be glorified. That people would see that he comes out of the tomb and some of them would believe. Yes, some of them went right back to the Pharisees and said, we, we've got to stop this guy. But it's all about God's glory. Everything is turned towards God's glory. God's glory was in the beginning. God's glory will be at the end. The pictures in Revelation is there's people experiencing God's glory right now. They are praising and bowing and worshiping. The hymn that, the hymn that we just sang said, Eternity's too short to utter all your praise. It's, it's an impossibility. Eternity can't be short. But how great is God's glory? How much should we praise Jesus for our salvation? Christ, you came to me. You redeemed me. You saved a sinner like me. In, in all the confusion of my mind, in all my rebellion, in all of the things that I did, you came to me in salvation? 
he tells Habakkuk, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to straighten it out with these people. They're going to be punished, but I want you to remember. It's, it's God's glory. God's glory is going to fill the earth. We get to see part of it, don't we? We have missionary prayer requests. Why do we have it? Because the gospel is going out throughout all the earth. It can't be stopped. Oh, you say, well, what about this and what about that? Not many people are saved, but some people are saved. Always, all the time. And the kingdom moves forward and the kingdom moves forward. It's a, it's a dark time, but God's kingdom uh, moves forward. Then comes the drinking the wrath of God, a theme of drunkenness in verses uh, 15 through uh, 17. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drink in order to gaze on your, your nakedness. Uh, the, the Chaldeans' version of uh, the date rape drug, the Chaldeans' version of the, you know, the, the line in the bar, just give her a few more drinks. You'd be able to take her home. They made sport of people that they conquered. They spiked the drink, so to speak, with, with all their cruelty and made fun of them. And nakedness is only appropriate in very limited situations. You don't uncover somebody else's nakedness. You don't make sport of it. But then notice, the, notice how it changes the whole drinking picture. Verse 16, you will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. Who's, who's serving the drinks now? God Almighty. Oh, you made sport of people. And I can remember encouraging people, have another one, have another one. You made sport. You had ulterior motives. You wanted pleasure and sensuality and nakedness. Here, now God's serving the drinks. And you're going to drink the cup of his wrath till there's not one drop left. That, that's the picture. What a terrible thing. There's a passage in Isaiah that, that we'll get to that, that, that literally talks about trees rejoicing because the Chaldeans aren't there to cut them down to make idols anymore. And here, everybody will rejoice. Verse 17 sums up this section. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you. So will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. All this violence that you perpetrated is going to come right back on you. And then the, the final woe, doesn't start with a woe, but verse 19 has it. And that's a theme of worship or idolatry. Here's the question of value. What profit is an idol when his maker has shaped it? A metal image? A teacher of lies? A teacher of lies is something that you assign value to yourself. Right? We have a creator, we're the creatures, we worship. The picture is they're a creature and they made a creature and they worship. And that's a lie. You're, you're believing a lie. Something that I made with my hands, I would put here, 
the one passage in Isaiah says you have to nail it down so it doesn't shake and totter. You don't want your idol to fall over. But its creature makes a creature and then tries to worship. It doesn't work out. That, that's a teacher uh, of lies. That's instructing you to continue in idolatry rather than get out of idolatry. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. There's an important point, speechless, because verse 20 is going to say what, what should be done about speech. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. You remember that horrible scene of the prophets of Baal. And, and Elijah just fueled it, didn't he? He said, well, why don't you call out a little bit louder? What a, a mocking, well, maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he went to the bathroom. Maybe you should call louder. And, and, and you know, they didn't have anything else to do. They, you know what they did? They did do that. And they cut themselves. They cut themselves. But there's the questions. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing awake, to, to a silent stone arise. Can this teach it's overlaid with gold and silver. That's what they always did, didn't they? Oh, that's valuable. If you, if you think our idol is nice, you should see the one in so-and-so's house. It's got gold with rubies laid into it. That's the, that's the mindset. And there is no breath at all in it. God doesn't breathe, but the next verse is a point, is a point that we, we need a living God. We have to have a, cre a creator, not a creature that makes a creature. Not worldly philosophy, not science as a God to make science a God, not science as a God to make a doctor a God, not science as a God to make a politician a God, not science as a God or anything else as a God to make something that's just the same. And, and verse 20, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Where in verse 14, where was the glory of God going to go? It was going to go out through all the earth. The knowledge of the Lord was going to go out through all the earth. And who should stop their mouth and not say anything before God, the whole earth. The message for Habakkuk and the message for us is that God works his purposes in the entire earth. He reveals his glory, where? In the entire earth, he reveals his knowledge, where? In the entire earth. We always come back to Acts 17. Who is supposed to repent? Because of Jesus Christ, Paul says, God calls all men everywhere to repent. The gospel is a global gospel. The gospel goes out to the ends of the earth. His glory is seen in those who are saved. It goes out to all the ends of the earth. God is in his holy temple. His holy temple. Here, he just related is something that you can get by just cutting down a tree. The, the ironic passage in, in Isaiah is Isaiah 14.8. Trees rejoiced 
when Babylon was conquered because they didn't come and, and make idols out of the trees and cut them down. The, the, other, the other picture in the scripture is the person cuts down, cuts down a, a, a tree and out of one part of it, he, he heats his stove, he heats his home, out of the other part, he makes an idol. It's, it's impossible. It's impossible. The Lord is in his place. It's a contrast to the idol. The, the Lord has, has a, a place where he is. He's everywhere. He's everywhere in all of his all of his attributes and all of his glory, but he has a place where he is. But consider what the person who's an idolater does. He makes it, and then he puts it in this place. You see those things on the road. Somebody had a, an accident or something, and I feel bad about that. But now you make a little shrine to, to the person that w w was hurt in an accident. A, 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 a house on our street has all these statues in the front like this. That's the idol's place, brothers and sisters. But, but God is in his holy temple. He's not located someplace. He, he's in everywhere. But that picture reminds us where he is. A holy temple. Not a house where the walls and, and the bricks and everything, the stones are crying out, you're an idolater. No, a holy temple. A holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. That's the summary. That's the summary of the woes to the Chaldeans. The woes pile up and you see they're, they're indicted. They're charged from every angle. They can't, they can't get out. We see that in our day when when something happens and, and then they say, well, there's seven different charges against the person because because with our justice system, you might as well charge him with that many because he's only going to be found guilty of a couple. And they might mitigate those circumstances too. But indictments come from every angle. And we need to remember that God sees all the wickedness in our day. That's the, what he's getting across to Habakkuk. That's what he's getting across to us. First of all, Habakkuk said, how can you see all this and not do anything? And this part of chapter 2 is saying, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. The Israelites will be conquered by Babylon, but I'm going to show you the other side. These people are going to be under my wrath. Well, what about these policies we see in our day? And what about this? And what about that? And what about this? Any discerning person can see that the results, the consequences of wicked government, even in the United States, are already, uh, already occurring. I just read something this morning uh, uh, in a book on leadership. And, the, and the, the idea was, you want socialism? Socialism works until somebody else's money runs out. It's an improper use of money. And, but, but that's where we are. And, and they don't care. Oh, no, 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 we don't care. We don't care if all those checks that we handed out for stimulus, there was nothing behind them. And the world is going to understand. They're going to say the U.S. dollar 
it doesn't really represent anything, so why use it as a standard? Because there's, no, there's nothing behind it. But, tell, tell, ask them, well, what about the debt? How can we give $2 billion to a country in Africa when we really don't have it? It'll be great until somebody else's money runs out. Well, whose money is it? There isn't any real. There isn't any really. You, say, you would say, is it really possible to do that? You and I can't do it in our budgets. That would be nice, right? I have everything I want. I'm 17 million dollars in debt. I'll never be able to pay it back, but I have a six-room house with five bathrooms, three Mercedes and a Porsche. I'm fine. But that's how the, that's how everything's built. That's how everything's based. The consequences are built in. They're obvious to most people. And people then quickly run to, oh, no, 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 that's the Republicans, that's this, that's this. In the meantime, you'll just destroy the country. The sins were the same. And we could say, God, don't you see this? Don't you see that? Don't you see the whole global economy could just collapse? But we want to take, we want to take back our lessons. Lessons from the righteous. The righteous one lives by faith. We got about five minutes. Faith receives God's word and God's will. Receives his word and his will. You, you might say, I, I like those encouraging verses in the Bible, but I don't like these troubling ones like Habakkuk. See, well, that was Habakkuk's struggle. But faith receives his word and his will. And although faith wrestles sometimes, like his, faith looks to God for help to grasp his purposes and his design. And the two verses, for verse 14 and verse 20, help us to, to, to understand. What is going to happen? This is crazy. This is insane. I never thought that I would see this happen in our country. It's for God's glory. He's in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent. Oh, okay. Faith holds to God's promises in times of trouble, even in a national crisis. Faith holds to God's promises in times of trouble, even in a national crisis. Third, faith trusts in and waits for the fulfillment of God's word. Although there may seem to be a delay, like God says, my purpose is hasten to the end. Where's Christ now? What are you guys hoping for? Well, he died on the cross 2,000 years ago. What are you hoping for? Peter says, people count slowness not as God counts slowness. And the picture... The picture of a, a day is like a thousand years. It's not anything to do with a millennium. It's because God doesn't keep track of time like we keep track of time. And what he said, what does he say? Be patient. Be patient. Be patient. Not try to figure it all out. But God told Habakkuk, my purposes are hastening. 
First John, he says, my little children, it's the last hour. And that's how we should live. The return of Christ and our death should be right here. I got an hour left. Goodbye, brothers and sisters. By, by, quarter, to, by quarter to 12, I'm going to be gone. Well, where are you going? But that's, that's the idea. God's purposes hasten to the end. Believing in God's work in one age or time helps us to believe for all times. That, that's what he's getting through to Habakkuk. Believe me now, because that's how the righteous lives all the time. And the writer to the Hebrews picks it up and he says, the righteous lives by faith and what's coming next. The coming one is coming next. And if your soul shrinks back, God says, I don't have any pleasure in you. But he says, we're not of those who shrink back. It's an interesting juxtaposition, isn't it? Somebody who shrinks and somebody who doesn't shrink. When we look by faith, we look at verse 14. We look at verse 20. We recognize God's person and his place. His person. He, he's filled with glory. He's filled with power. He's filled with might. And, and then also his place. He's in the temple. And we, we have to get it into our minds. It's not creature, creature. Well, why is God doing this? Why are these things happening? It's creator and creature. God is in his temple. We should... We should recognize his holiness. We should be humbled. And we should be those who, who worship him in, in any situation. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful that you are the God of history. You are the God that is in control of all things. We pray that faith might be further rooted and grounded in our convictions concerning you. Your place your purposes, and your careful instruction, even of Habakkuk, who challenged you in a sense and said, where are you? Things are going crazy and you don't even care. But Lord, we know you care, we, you care and we pray that in all our lives we might seek to glorify you and remember that you're in your holy temple. Amen.